Hi, this is John Stonge, and the recording you're about to hear was just recorded as we had our evening training session for the Healthy Discipleship Community. And this week we were talking about the process of making peace with your past. So I don't know if that's something that you've ever wrestled with. I would actually assume it probably is. And so in our training session that you're about to hear, that's what we discussed this week. We host these training sessions typically on Thursday evenings at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And if you're ever interested in learning more about becoming part of the Healthy Discipleship Community and joining us for one of these training sessions live, I'd invite you to stop by HealthyDiscipleshipCommunity.com. So that's our website, HealthyDiscipleshipCommunity.com. And on the website, you could see various other aspects that we offer and resources that we offer to help others in their walk with Christ. So if that's something that would interest you and you'd be interested interested in participating in that from a community standpoint, definitely stop by the website, check it out, and we'd love to have you on board for our upcoming training that we'll be hosting again next week. So here we go. We're about to listen to the recording. Let me get it started for us here. Tonight, we're talking about making peace with your past. Here it is. Well, we welcome you tonight to our training for the Healthy Discipleship Community. Tonight we're talking about this idea of making peace with your past, and this is probably a subject that from time to time we've all wrestled with, and we're going to be looking at this from a biblical perspective this evening, seeing some excellent examples that Scripture gives to us about what it actually looks like to make peace with our past, and uh, sometimes the difficult and bumpy road that we experience while we attempt to do that. And so we're going to be looking at some examples from Scripture that show us how that can be done and what that looks like when it's done well. A couple initial thoughts here this evening. First of all, everyone has had experiences in their past that stand out to them as painful, regrettable, or shameful. This is common to us all. In fact, I just had a conversation over the past two weeks with somebody who told me specifically that one of the main struggles he's experiencing right now is excessive shame. He's dealing with a lot of shame, and uh, he said that this has become a very persistent problem in his day-to-day life and his spiritual walk. But we all have had experiences throughout the course of our lives that are particularly painful, maybe things that we did that we feel are regrettable, uh, maybe some things from our past that we would say, all right, at this point, I just consider that straight-up shameful. These are common struggles that we all face. Now, some people remain stuck in those moments, and then they spend the rest of their lives or the majority of their lives dwelling on those moments in very unhealthy ways. And I'll just confess to you guys that there are uh, plenty of things that over the course of my life I look back and I think, all right, if I could relive that moment, I would definitely make different decisions or handle that differently or speak differently to this person or whatever it may be. And from time to time, those things come back to my mind, and I think to myself, And in many cases, by the way, these end up being conversations I've had with people or things that I've said that I wish I could take back. But sometimes those things come back to my mind and I almost cringe when when I have to think about these things again or I, I wince. And it can become very easy to to remain stuck 
in some of those moments and maybe even just spend the rest of your life dwelling on these things in unhealthy ways. And sometimes it's not even regrettable things that we've done. Sometimes it's painful things that we have experienced that were of no fault of our own. But many people would say that some of their, their major traumas in life are things that they have really struggled with and really have not succeeded in moving beyond. And so we're going to talk about some of that this evening as we examine this subject of making peace with our past. Others, when they're looking at some of these events, they tend to see these moments from a new redemptive perspective that only Christ can truly facilitate. So there's two ways to handle these things. We can remain stuck in them, or we could begin seeing these moments, these painful moments, these regrettable moments, these shameful moments. We can begin seeing them from a new redemptive perspective that Christ facilitates within us as we know him and grow in our walk with him. And so we want to talk about that this evening as well. And I want to say this, even before we take a look at several excellent examples from Scripture, God is sovereign. So I want that to be something that we have in mind even before we look at these portions of God's Word. He is sovereign. He's in control. He oversees our lives. He does not waste these experiences that we've had. He makes use of all of them. And Scripture makes it clear through multiple examples and direct teaching that the Lord uses these experiences not only for our good, although that's certainly a wonderful thing, but He also uses these experiences for the good of others. And we're going to see a very powerful and probably familiar example of that right away in the first example that we look at. And the first example I want to point out to us uh, this evening as we, as we wrestle with this subject of making peace with our past is Joseph. Now, I'm re- there are several people named Joseph in Scripture, but the Joseph that I'm referring to is the Joseph that's mentioned in the first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis. And I'll even mention this before I read our Scripture. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 50, and I'll read verse 20 of Genesis 50. But I re- recall when I was a child, uh, some of the the Sunday school teachers that I had in our church teaching us a variety of things. And I remember one of the early Sunday school teachers I had giving each of the students in her class a book. And it was a, a child's book, a children's book, based on different biblical stories. And everybody got a, a different story. But the book that I was given, and I wish I still had it, but I doubt that I have it in any of our, our things. I don't have too many things from my early childhood, unfortunately, at this point. But the book that I was given was a book about Joseph. And it was a book that I used to read regularly. And I would see the different details that had happened in his life and, and uh, the trials that he experienced and the things that were done to him that were no fault of his own, and also the perspective that he learned to develop because of what the Lord was teaching him in the midst of those moments. But even before we recap the basic details of what took place in Joseph's life, take a look at his perspective that Scripture conveys to us that Joseph developed over time as he walked with the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph made this statement. He said this, and by the way, he was speaking to his brothers in this moment, and he said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about 
that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So this was Joseph's perspective as a mature man who had walked through many trials, but yet remained someone who trusted in the Lord and watched the Lord's hand upon his life and listened to the Lord's counsel. And he was able to look at the trials that he had experienced, and he realized that even though humanity meant it for evil against him, his brothers in particular, God meant these trials for good. So what were these trials? Well, when you look at the recap of Joseph's life, as Scripture tells it throughout the, the second half of the book of uh, Genesis, you see that Joseph was somebody who was highly loved by his father. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He's highly loved by his father, and his brothers did not take too kindly to that. His brothers became jealous of their, their father's love toward Joseph, and Joseph was the recipient of multiple blessings. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that his father had uh, given to him, and his brothers at one point purposed to kill Joseph. They wanted to see Joseph killed, and uh, in the process, what they end up doing is they, send, they sell him to a, a band of Ishmaelite traders, and so uh, he's sold, and he becomes a, a, a slave, and, and he ends up in Egypt, and he in Egypt he is the recipient of a false accusation, and through a chain of events he becomes someone who is in connection with the king of Egypt, with Pharaoh. And during that particular time, there was famine that was going to come upon the land, and the Lord raised up Joseph and prophetically revealed things to Joseph through dreams that were for the benefit of the people of Egypt so that they would understand that there was a famine coming, coming that they needed to be prepared for. And Pharaoh was favorably disposed to Joseph, and Pharaoh gave Joseph authority to be able to gather grain and other needed things for the upcoming famine. And when the famine came, everybody was prepared in Egypt because of what Joseph was able to accumulate for them. They were able to be supplied through this preparation, and even people from surrounding countries came and enjoyed the grain and all the things that Joseph was able to sell to them. And eventually, through that process, as the famine spreads out far and wide, Joseph's family becomes reconnected with him, and he forgives them, and he meets their needs. And the events taking place in Genesis chapter 50 take place after Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And in that context, you have Joseph's brothers who have now been forgiven by Joseph. And um, they're wondering now that their father's dead if Joseph is going to have them executed because he maintains authority, he maintains position, he maintains influence. And if he wanted his brothers treated harshly, they certainly could have been treated harshly. But he makes a statement showing that he's really wrestled with all the harm that they had done to him, and even the years of life that you would say that they cost him because he went from a favored position in his father's household to being a prisoner in, and a slave in Egypt to then being raised up to a spot of prominence in Egypt. But he looks at this scenario. His brothers are trying to come up with a creative way that maybe they could convince Joseph not to kill them. And he's saying to them, listen, you don't have to worry about it. What you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And the end result, as we could see God's sovereign hand working in this situation, was that many people would be kept alive. 
And you look at all the people that were supplied with food, all the people that lived through all this experience. We even see in this a foretaste of what Jesus Christ was ultimately going to do in offering himself for us and dealing with grief and pain so that we could be blessed. And so Joseph endured all of that, but it was for the benefit of many people. And so it's apparent that Joseph doesn't resent and doesn't develop bitterness toward what his brothers had done to him because he could see God's hand in it. And I think that's a useful example for us this evening as we wrestle with this idea of making peace with our past, because there are certain different things that have happened to us over the course of our lives that we could look back at and say, okay, I had no control over this. This is something that was done to me uh, that I had no control over. So maybe you were treated harshly by a family member, or maybe you were subjected to some injustice or some trauma or some form of abuse or whatever it may be. There's probably something in your past that you could point to that you had no control over whatsoever that was done to you that you could either remain stuck in or you could say, all right, because I believe that the Lord is sovereign and because I believe that the Lord has his hand upon my life and because I believe that the Lord can take even what people mean for evil and somehow use it for good, I don't need to be bitter. I don't need to be resentful. I can practice forgiveness. And uh, you see Joseph demonstrating this as he chooses not to resent the, the things that had happened to him in the past, even though they, the, they were very evil things that his brothers had done to him. He chooses not to resent it. He chooses to see it from the perspective of God. And he realizes that the end result, through this interesting system of events and, and circumstances that had taken place in his life, the end result was that many people's lives, including his father, including his siblings, their lives were all spared because of how the Lord sovereignly worked all things out together for good for Joseph and for others. So that's one example that I think demonstrates for us in a great way that we can have peace with what's taken place in our past. We see that Joseph had come to that spot of peace. But let's talk about somebody else, someone who we do not know. But when you look at the Gospels and you see the crucifixion of Christ taking place, the Scriptures reveal to us multiple times that there were thieves that were hung on the crosses next to Christ. So there were three crosses. Christ being in, in between two thieves, people on either side. One of those thieves mocked Christ. The other repented of his unbelief and came to faith in Christ. And there's not a lot known to us about the thief on the cross that repented of his unbelief and came to faith in Christ, but it's very clear that in that moment, his eyes were open to the truth. And I wonder what his life was like. I wonder what happened to him in his youth. I wonder if he had some difficult experiences there and maybe some people that hurt him or took advantage of him or, or neglected him or, or what sort of things took place that influenced the life decisions he made as an adult. But obviously, whatever he had done, whatever went into his criminal acts, I don't know if in addition to thievery, he was guilty of maybe even some some additional things, but regardless, he had gotten to the point where the governmental authorities had decided to execute this man. So things had obviously 
gone rather poorly in his life. And in those moments, as his life is flashing before him, and he's thinking through all sorts of things, he sees Jesus on the cross next to him, his heart changes. And he looks at Christ, and when you look at Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43, it shows us an interchange between this thief and Christ. And the thief says this, it says, And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Then the scripture goes on to tell us Christ's reply, and in regard to Christ replying, it says, And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So in the previous example that we looked at, we looked at Joseph, who had things done to him that certainly would produce bitterness and certainly would produce a lot of anger in most people. But Joseph made peace with these things because he trusted that the Lord was sovereign, and he was the victim of things that had been done to him that were outside of his control. Here you have the thief on the cross who's being executed because of things that he had done. He's being executed because of what he had chosen to do and the direction that he had chosen to take his life. And again, uh, he's in that moment where he realizes that the physical life is ebbing from his body. He realizes that these are his last moments on earth, and he's rethinking all sorts of things. And in that moment, the Scripture reveals that he came to faith in Christ. He begins to see Jesus for who he is, and he asks Christ to, to remember him when Christ comes into his kingdom, when Christ rules and reigns in his kingdom. And Christ tells us, and, and, or dis, tells him and displays for us, that he forgave this thief. And so here you have a, a man who, who comes to a spot of peace, even though there are a whole bunch of things in his life that he would say are regrettable and shameful choices that he had made. But now he finds peace in Christ. And so we see a great example of that. And it's interesting because there's so little that we know about this thief, but so frequently I've come back to just in my times of study and in my times of teaching to that unnamed thief on that cross and have been amazed at how many interesting applications and interesting things that you could pull from just the conversation and that moment of repentance that we see this thief expressing. So another example that I think is pretty powerful from Scripture that I want to bring up to us even just briefly this evening is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, when he would assess his life, there were certainly things that had taken place in his life that he could easily be ashamed of. So Joseph had things that happened to him. The uh, thief on the cross had things that he regretted when he looked back over his life. And I think in Paul's case, there were things that he was absolutely, at least naturally speaking, ashamed of. And when Paul would have, I imagine, some weaker moments, those thoughts would come back to his mind. And it's difficult when shameful thoughts come back to your mind because it's hard to wrestle with those things. And when Paul was talking to the Corinthians in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he assesses some of these things. And he's talking about the work that he's doing for Christ's glory as an apostle. And when he assesses himself in the midst of talking about the work that he's doing, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 9, he says, For I am the least 
of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So Paul is assessing his life, and he's looking at what his life was like before Christ, and now he's also thinking about what the Lord's been doing in his life since coming to faith in Christ. And he says, listen, you know, yeah, I'm an apostle, just like these other apostles are apostles. But he says, naturally speaking, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. And the reason he gives for that, he says, it's because I persecuted the church of God. And you see examples of that when you go through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it demonstrates for us the things that Paul did as he would persecute the church. He approved of the death of believers in Christ. He approved of the imprisonment of believers in Christ. He was complicit in arresting believers in Christ, and he wanted to see, ultimately, believers in Christ stopped. He didn't want them to have an influence on culture, and he was active in his pursuit of them, and he had permission to pursue them and permission to arrest them and permission to ultimately facilitate harm to them. And uh, I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to see the, the recent movie, Paul, Apostle of Christ, but it's a very good movie. It came out just a couple of years ago. I saw it in the theater and then uh, actually had a showing of it that we showed to our church family. But it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, in that movie, you have uh, Jim Caviezel playing Luke, and uh, he plays a main character in there. I forget the, the actor that plays the Apostle Paul. Um, but it's a, a, an interesting telling of Paul's life. But one of the things that that movie does is it shows how Paul, even as a believer, from time to time, most likely wrestled with feelings of shame when he would think back over the course of his life and some of the mistakes that he made and some of the things that he did that were very unsavory in his persecution of the church. And um, that movie displays that very powerfully. It's hard to not feel emotional when watching it. So I would recommend that if you get the opportunity, you check out the movie, Paul, Apostle of Christ. It came out just a, just a few years ago, maybe just two or three years ago it came out. Definitely check it out. It's worth, worth seeing. But Paul was wrestling with that. So he had these feelings of shame, but he was ultimately able to give that over to the Lord when those feelings would start to overwhelm him. And he could recognize the grace of God that he had been shown. And so he says, look, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's saying, I'm not who I used to be. I am what I am now by the grace of God. God's grace has been shown to me in a meaningful and powerful way through Jesus Christ. And I'm a new creation in Christ. I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And so what he's saying here is that the grace of God was shown to him in Jesus Christ in a way that transformed him. It wasn't wasted. It wasn't in vain. And now, and in that context, you see a couple things in 1 Corinthians 15. You see discussion of the resurrection and the resurrected body. So that, you know, Paul's talking about this in view of the fact that he has hope beyond his current circumstances, but he's also talking about the work that he's been able to do as the Lord empowers him to do this work. And so he's saying, look, I wasn't useless to the Lord. The Lord was willing to use me, even though I have a very sordid past, even though I have some very shameful activities in my past, the Lord was still willing to use me. So again, you see different shades of this happening in each of the examples that we've looked at. 
you have, again, Joseph, the thief on the cross, and Paul. So things happening to Joseph, uh, regrettable choices that the thief made, and the shame that the Apostle Paul naturally could have become stuck in if, um, if that's what he chose to persist in. But yet the Lord showed grace to each of these individuals, to each of these men, and the Lord did amazing things in and through their lives. So think with me for a moment about some of the principles that we can pull from those biblical examples about what it looks like for us to ultimately make peace with our past and to find peace in the present through Jesus Christ. And a few thoughts I want to share with us related to that, just three. But here's number one. And, and the first, really, we pull this principle from Joseph's example, and that's this. God has a purpose that stretches far beyond a single moment in time. So as human beings, we at times become very stuck mentally in any given moment. But God has a purpose that stretches beyond, far beyond, a particular moment in time. And so you have Joseph demonstrating that he could start to see that. He was starting to take the long view as the Lord was enabling him to see that. But that's something that we should also understand is, is God's will for us, to understand that God has a purpose that stretches far beyond a moment in time. So we, at times, can be going through something that's rather painful and rather difficult, and it can be difficult to see beyond that moment. When you're in the midst of a moment of pain, it can be difficult to see beyond that moment because it feels like this is just going to last forever, isn't it? But God has purposes that stretch far beyond a single moment in time. A second principle that I think we can take from the scriptures we just looked at and the examples that we just looked at, and this one we find in particular in the thief on the cross, and that's this, the principle that it isn't too late and you aren't too far gone to come to Christ. So if you're still breathing, it's not too late. Even if you have a very regrettable and sordid past, it's not too late, and you aren't too far gone to come to Christ. Most people, during the time of the thief on that cross, during his lifetime, would have looked at him and said, this guy is too far gone. He's crossed too far over the line. There is no way that he could come to a spot of repentance. There's no way he's going to, to, to trust in the Lord to rescue him. But he demonstrates for us that it's not too late. Even if your past is, is full of all sorts of errors of judgment, it's not too late. You're not too far gone to come to Christ. If you're still breathing, you still have another moment when you can trust in him, where you could repent of your unbelief and come to faith in Christ and enjoy the privilege of being part of his kingdom forever. And a third principle that I think we could pull from the Apostle Paul's example in particular is this. Even if your past has moments that you regret or feel ashamed of, God can do great things through you. So in Paul's example, there are many things that he could point to, and he could say, yeah, I think that in some respects disqualifies me from God being able to make great use of my life. But that's not what happened at all. God did great things through the Apostle Paul. And even if your past has moments that you regret, God can do great things through you. And we see that through Paul's life. In fact, I think probably some of those things were things that the Lord used to motivate Paul to make better use of the second half of his life than he used the first half of his life. So even if, you're, if your past has moments that you regret, God can still do great things through you. And you see that in the, the 
preaching ministry that the Lord gave Paul in the training and leadership ministry, and the, the evangelism, the church planting, the mentorship, uh, you know, just the doctrinal formation and the authorship, the writing that Paul was able to do to inform the, the understanding and the theology of the church as the Holy Spirit guided him to write these things down. God can do great things through you, even if your past has moments that you regret or feel ashamed of. Don't give up on yourself, particularly when Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God has not given up on you. So if God has not given up on you, there is no reason for you to be giving up on yourself, because that wouldn't be in line with God's purpose for you. So in just a moment, I'm going to take us off uh, my screen here, and I'm going to put us on uh, the shared gallery view, because I want to talk about some of these things. Uh, So let me do that for us now. I'm going to stop the screen share, bring everybody up on the gallery here so I can see everybody's face. And uh, I just have a, a starter question for us here this evening. And I hope one of you will maybe jump in on this right away. But my starter question for us is this. Why is it such a struggle for us to stop dwelling on the mistakes of our past? Why is that such a struggle? Why do we, why do we find that so, so difficult? Why is it such a struggle for us to stop dwelling on the mistakes of our past? Who wants to get us started with that one? Go for it, Don. Yeah. I think, yes, I am. I think one of the uh, hardest things might be the uh, being reminded of it. If, if we make really bad financial decisions and we're still paying the wreckage of the past, uh, we have people in our lives that don't, don't uh, adhere to that love, doesn't keep a record of wrong scripture, and, and, and they let you know about it. And uh and I think uh, just human nature is bent on thinking of negative as as opposed to And when we're thinking what our humanness, uh, it, it, it's hard to let go of all that uh, without God helping us. It's almost like we have to surrender to something outside of ourselves since we're did all of the uh, things that the things from our past were choices that we made, and they were made of our. our Thinking, our sin nature, and that's still there. So that's it's that constant battle between the flesh and the spirit, I think, that makes it hard to just accept the freedom that's given to all of us to what he's done. Yeah, so we, we've got the the self-loathing that we wrestle with, but we also have the the accusation of others and the criticism of others and, and uh, people in our lives that love to remind us of our less than stellar moments, and they they bring those things up. Don, do you have some people like that in your life that their their faces even uh, come to mind maybe, right now, even as you're sharing maybe that? Maybe one or two. Maybe one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there are people that, that just don't like to let that stuff go, you know? I mean, it, and uh, but sometimes we can also be the ones bringing it up, you know? I mean, even when others aren't uh, the source of that, like you said, you know, our own sin nature, sometimes we adopt the voice of accusation and we start, um, you know, Scripture tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but I think sometimes Satan loves to influence us to just uh, do his job for him, you know, just to accuse ourselves and berate ourselves and keep ourselves stuck in the past. And so, yeah, it can be a real struggle to stop dwelling on those mistakes of the past. Anyone else have a thought about that? 
I was going to second Don's uh, uh, wording. We just seem to dwell on that. We seem to get stuck in that. And you, you even think of some of the great golfers. Um, Jack Nicklaus, you know, sometimes he dwells on the ones that got away. You know, he's got 18 yes. majors. And, he, you know, so I think it's just human nature. I think it's the, the fallen human nature. We we do tend to dwell on on our mistakes, and uh, they just they seem to haunt us. And uh, it's amazing that we do focus so much on our mistakes instead of the victories that we have. Uh, you know, it's but it's just I think human nature. So it's something yeah. we have to let God deal with, and uh, you know, through Him we can overcome that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And isn't it odd how some of these things can stay stuck in our thinking for a very long time? You know, sometimes I'll think about either a poor decision or something disrespectful that I said as a child and I'll beat myself up about it now. And I think to myself, it's like, all right, you're a middle-aged man, John, you don't need to beat yourself up about something that you said or did when you were 12. <laughs> you know, you don't, you really like, it's old news. Like it, you were at a spot of, 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 you were a child, you know, it's like a spot of immaturity. Why, why are you beating yourself up about it? You don't beat other people up about things from, from that season of their life. Most people would look at it and say, it's ridiculous to even dwell on that. It's from your childhood. You didn't know better. You were just at, you were at a spot of ignorance or, or immaturity or whatever you want to say. But yet those things stay stuck in my mind. And I wish I could say, you know, I remember every time I got a, uh, a perfect grade on a spelling test when I was 12, but that's not, that's not what, what I think about. I don't even know the answer to something like that. I, what I do remember is, you know, a time when I was disrespectful to this person or where I said something hurtful to my father or what, you know, whatever it may be. And it's like, listen, you were a kid, the Lord's forgiven it, forgive yourself, but we struggle. Um, how about this? Maybe someone could chime in on this. This is kind of a related thought. But how can the forgiveness we receive from Christ help us to both forgive ourselves and forgive others? So how does that forgiveness that we receive from Christ help us forgive ourselves and others? I wonder if someone could speak to that. I think when we we remember that it's far bigger like christ's forgiveness is for is far bigger and it kind of puts the perspective that uh whatever it is that we're struggling to forgive isn't nearly as hard or nearly as big and so i think it just lends itself to you know that perspective and maybe even like a healthy comparison Meaning he's forgiven so much more, so why can't we let this little thing comparatively right. go, right? Yeah, it's a good perspective. Anyone want to speak to the idea of how the forgiveness we receive from Christ would help us forgive others? You know, if you're in a spot like Joseph was in, where there are people who have intentionally done harm to you do you have a thought on on how dwelling on the forgiveness of christ is helpful for us as we try to forgive them i know for me um often when when i feel like i've been wronged immediately i have difficulty um <laughs> forgiving 
but usually when I when I go home and let the emotions cool down and then and let the uh, hopefully the Christ-like nature that's within me um, start to wrestle through that and, and not the emotions and then I'm able to forgive and I often even reach out and 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 let the person know I'm forget that I've forgiven them. But it's I think we have that simmering down point we have to go through where we we let our emotions simmer down and start thinking with a Christ-like mind and, and heart, and uh, mm-hmm. realize we've been forgiven for much much bigger offenses than what we've probably been offended by. Yeah, it almost starts to feel hypocritical, doesn't it? You know, when yes, we think, all right, so I've been forgiven of so much. And yet I, it's like, I can't forgive one thing, you know, I'm struggling to forgive one thing. And yet I serve a savior who has forgiven me of things that I didn't even know I did, you know, things that I don't even like have any memory of ways in which my life has been an offense to his holiness in a variety of ways. And he's forgiven me of so many things that I'm not even aware of. And yet I'm struggling to forgive somebody of one thing. I really wrestled with this um, some years ago. I had an instance where um, somebody in my, my day-to-day life offended me on a pretty deep level. And obviously, <laughs> because this is being recorded, I'll be uh, very generic here, okay? Uh, but, I, you know, I was offended on a, a very deep level. And um, I noticed that I was more angry than I typically get in my day-to-day life about this. Like, I was feeling intense emotion about it in a way that is not common for how I typically approach life or how I go about it. And, um, and it really had a, I I could see immediately the kind of negative impact it was having on me. And uh, as a result, I, I started bringing it before the Lord. And one of the things that the Lord placed upon my heart during that time was the importance of praying specifically for that person. And I thought, you know, I need to be lifting this person up before the Lord in prayer, even though I'm intensely angry with this person. And you're, you wouldn't be surprised to realize that uh, or to hear that the Lord really did change my perspective toward that person and facilitated reconciliation between me and that person. And, uh, and I also, uh, and it was amazing, and I didn't ask for this, but received an apology uh, sometime later, it was a while later, it wasn't immediate, but it was a while later, I received an apology from that person. That person actually apologized for their activity. And this is long after I had started praying for them. And this is long after I had done a few intentional things to try and bless that person just in intangible and practical ways that I knew would be helpful or would be a blessing to them. And uh, it was just interesting to me to see what the Lord facilitated but it was like, like you said, uh, Craig, you know, as you're talking about like how, how it feels so ridiculous that we would accept the Lord's forgiveness, but then not extend it. And uh, I thought, you know, I can't, I, I, I'm so blessed by the forgiveness I've received from the Lord. How could I not extend it? I have to extend it. And right now it's being tested. So I got to, I got to follow through with the test. I got to pass the test, right? What about ourselves? I mean, it is, don't you feel like it's important for us to be preaching the message of the gospel to our own hearts as well? You know, so how does this apply to this idea of forgiving ourselves? Anyone have a thought on that or anything related? I can, I'd like to share that um, 
uh, and my wife always uh, reminds me because there was something that happened as well. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was carrying this anger in my heart. And the problem, the problem happens too, because when that's, that becomes your focus. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have Jesus as our focus. You know, it, it, we're supposed to be like the, the horses that go through Central Park and they have those blinders on. So right. you don't see anything except the goal. And anything, even even uh, something that was done to you, uh, and, and you say, well, I forgive, but you keep holding on to it, um, it's it's not directing you to Christ. It's it's blocking the uh, the relationship that you have with Him. Um, and I, I I thought you might also bring up the um, the story of the uh, uh, the steward uh, who was uh, uh, dismissed by his master, and he and he was forgiven for this. Uh, he couldn't have uh, paid off this debt in a, li- a lifetime, and he said, "Forget it." And then he went to a fellow servant who only owned him a, pe- a penance, a pen, a, a pittance. Is that the word you're looking for? Uh, a small amount, <laughs> not penance, but a, a small amount. Penance, penance right. is what we have to. Uh, no, a pittance. A pittance. <laughs> That's right. And, and he threw him into into debtor's prison, mm-hmm. and then he had to answer to the owner, uh, to to the uh, master. So, but yeah, it takes your focus off of Jesus when you're sitting. In... Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. Thanks for bringing that one up. Um, let me ask a, a, another related question. And we alluded to this already. Uh, we alluded to this a few minutes ago when, when uh, Don brought a couple things up that he brought up. But do you sense that the devil may be using the mistakes of your past to keep you feeling beaten down and discouraged so that you won't be effective in doing what the Lord's called you to do? Have you ever experienced a moment like that? Maybe I wonder if anyone would speak to that. You know, this idea that maybe the devil just loves to keep you so focused on the mistakes of your past that you just remain in this spot where you feel beaten down and discouraged and almost to the point where you think, oh, how could the Lord use somebody like me? I mean, I've just gone so far and, and uh, though I'm just, I feel so disqualified. And yet we have the example of the Apostle Paul, you know, who says, look, I've got some stuff there. It's not pretty, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. But has anyone ever experienced moments where you're like, you know, I really sense that the devil's trying to use these things to keep me beaten down and discouraged so I'll be ineffective? Yeah, go for it, Don. I'd have to say that uh, he's been doing that since way back in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Yeah, he sure uh, has. When he when he when he come with the lie, you know, or with the temptation of the did God really say that? So like uh, with myself, it's a, are you really forgiven for the stuff that you you did in your past? Uh, and and you're reminded you're reminded of it by the world because the world will, will hold you down with the things of your past. You know, trying to move forward. We've been forgiven by the Lord. We're washed clean, white as snow. But try to go to apply for a uh, a securities job when you had something that you did in the past. Now you're forgiven by Christ, 
Mm. But the, the world doesn't forgive you. And so I think, and those are the times the enemy can really get to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, because even though you're, your spirit knows you're forgiven, but, uh, you know, the, the facts or the, uh, what's happening in your life don't feel that way whenever you're, you know, held accountable. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's one of the aspects that's a little bit hard in Christianity. We're, we're called to forgive. We also have to be prudent. Uh, it does something in, in one of our congregations to forgive them, but we don't let them stay in the position that they were in mm-hmm. when they perpetrated the, uh, you know, the, the wrongdoing, let me mm-hmm. say. So, uh, when you have those kind of things, I think that's uh, definitely when the devil gets in there and uses those lies that uh, it's not completely forgiven and washed clean as snow, especially if your head still that and, and what lines up, line up with lies, and now it's a it's a two for one ball game, for one ball game, and so I got to get back to that. Uh, you know, the, the Trinity, that is three to two, and I'm on the winning side. There you go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good example. Yeah, I, I uh, for me, I, I experienced, like, real spiritual warfare when I was called out of a life of apathy years ago, of apathetic Christian life. And, and I, I mean, it almost felt like the devil was on my shoulder chirping constantly you're too old you're 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 trying to make up for lost time uh you know there was just this constant battle and and uh even i even had a a real mild form of bladder cancer that i mean and it just it was like everything from my past from when i used to smoke you know and Mm -hmm. there was just this constant battle uh that culminated really in like a kadesh barnia moment for me that's what i i call it you know where there was this point in my life where you know, you step across the threshold, you know, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and shame was probably the biggest, shame and regret were the two biggest things that, that I felt the devil was actively using against me. Yep. You know, it was that, that constant reminder of shame and regret can't make up for lost time. And uh, that's why the story of Paul just, just screams to me because mm-hmm. uh, when I, when I finally accepted that call, I remember kind of always saying, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And then Paul said that in Galatians, you know, early on, the truth of the gospel. And then the truth of the gospel really is the grace that mm-hmm. he experienced. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I experienced that shame and that regret. And it, it can be, it can be paralyzing. Yeah. It really can if we don't, uh, if we don't learn to deal with it healthy in, in a healthy way through Christ. Yeah. And fellowship with others is big. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is big. Yeah, the, letting other brothers and sisters in Christ speak into your life through fellowship and remind you of the truth of the gospel that you accepted through Christ. But yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, the devil loves to keep God's people paralyzed if he can, because you know, if we're paralyzed, we're ineffective, right? Any other yeah, thoughts? What's yeah, what's interesting is you can also the, the, uh, I don't want to say the devil's working through them, but maybe. Through, through the people of Christ themselves. Because if you think about Paul, uh, he was sent to Ananias. Or mm-hmm. Ananias was sent to him. Ananias said, I'm not going there. <laughs> Do you know what he's done? 
Right. And God said, I'm going to use him as, a, as my spokesman to the Gentiles. He's going to spread the good news. Right. So, Almost like you're going to be shocked at what I do through this yeah, guy. Yeah. Ananias yeah. was, was really worried, but he went. Right. And then uh, Paul started doing beautiful things in Damascus. And then he goes back to Jerusalem and everybody goes, whoa. <laughs> so this this guy, you know, and he had to he had to sort of prove himself all over again, and and they even 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 that uh, the the first council, if you will, between the apostles that had to do with uh, with uh, you know circumcision or no circumcision. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that also had to do with Paul or Peter, you know, or you know th th this guy is trying to push this. Wasn't he the same? I mean, he's trying to take our Judaism away. From yeah. Us. And, uh, you know, so all of these things, it can even happen within the church itself. Right. And it's, it's difficult because, you, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're doing, you're trying to do that which God calls you to do, and you're trying to understand it as best as you can. Uh, but it's not always going to be the uh, secular forces that that oppose you it can be it can be within the body of christ itself unfortunately that's true yeah i mean it, at times and I, I have to tell you and it won't surprise several of you on the call this evening um you know so i've been in full-time ministry for 22 years and unfortunately i can point to several examples throughout the course of that ministry where um you know i dealt with some un unsavory things from people that in my mind I thought were my brother or sister in Christ. And I think, huh, this is kind of hard to process right now. <laughs> so we got to make sure no matter where we are on, on this, that we're listening to the voice of God and preaching the gospel to our own hearts so that we're modeling the gospel to one another as we interact. All right. I got, I got one last uh, question for you guys. I'm really interested to hear uh, what, what some of your answers to this might be. And uh, it says, what counsel would you give to somebody else that struggles in this area, this area particularly of making peace with their past? What counsel would you give to somebody if, uh, you know, you had a friend or a member of your congregation or something like that who's really struggling in that particular area? Any advice or counsel that you'd like to give them? Because my guess, and part of the reason I'm asking this I don't know everybody that listens to these recordings. You know, there are people that access this through the podcast and others that access these through the videos. So even answer this with the understanding that somebody's going to listen to this recording that needs your counsel. So what counsel would you give to someone who's really struggling with finding or making peace with their past? Yeah, I would, Craig. Uh, I would say find somebody that you can build a relationship with and you can really develop some trust and then simply confess. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you happen to be the person on the other side that somebody comes to you to just open their heart and confess, you know, we, we need to make sure that we uh, don't react in a negative way. We need to be really good listeners. But I, I, I find that I think that when we simply find that trusted person that we can just open our heart up to. And often when we say it, we hear it, it releases and uh you know but we we need to also as 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 uh, leaders in the church we need to make sure that we're ready to hear that from somebody else and not react in a in a way that would be oh i've said too much yeah right yeah, yeah. so I, I think that's really just that that's 
you know, and I, I know in James, uh, the book of James, he, say, he talks about we need to confess our sins to each other. That's part yep. of that healthy, uh, healthy discipleship. And that's part yep. of healthy living in Christ. So that would be my, my recommendation. Awesome. Yeah, very good. Anyone else want to chime in on that one? What advice would, or what counsel would you give to someone who's struggling in this area? I might share, um, well, if if God was going to approach you from Scripture, I think one of the uh, best examples there is uh, the relationship between uh, God and King David. Uh, Because David was, he was there, king, until he saw Bathsheba, and just things just started cycling down from there. But God, God said, "I'm, I'm sticking with you," and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the beauty of the Psalms is because that that uh, David recognized his failings, and and yet he he continued on because he knew that he was God's instrument. And I I would just uh, maybe say this too that uh, you recognize that God is taking you where you're at, uh, with all your faults and failings, and if God can see you where you uh, see you for who you are, see the depths of your heart in that, and he still accepts you, then the next step is accepting yourself. Mm-hmm. Because once you can accept yourself for where, who you are and where you're at, then you can move on. Mm-hmm. And, and you can allow yourself to be the instrument uh, of uh, God's grace in this world. And he'll, he'll, he'll use you uh, to, to affect his will. Sometimes we think we know what God's will mm-hmm. is, but the fact is he will use us to affect his will. And if we, if he accepts us where we're at, then in time, doesn't happen right away, but in time we'll come to accept ourselves as we are too, and then we'll allow him to use us. Wonderful. Good counsel. Well, this was all good counsel, guys. Thank you guys for participating tonight. I always look forward to these times, and I'm grateful as well for uh, anyone that may be joining us via the recording. Thank you for joining us that way as well. We hope that some of this was encouraging to you in your walk with Christ as you try and just walk in the peace that Christ so joyfully supplies to all who trust in him. Well, we'll get together again next week. Great to see everybody this week. Thanks for jumping on here, and we'll talk to everybody soon. Have a great one, everyone. Hey, friends, Nicole Eunice here from the How to Study the Bible podcast. I want to invite you to experience a fresh look at the story of Joseph and what it means for you today. Life can totally throw us for a loop, whether it's your family or your marriage, work, church, or something else entirely. Maybe you have found yourself in a season that you never would have expected and that you certainly wouldn't have signed up for. In this six-week Bible study together, we're going to talk about the biblical story of Joseph, a man who lived an unexpected life and trusted God through it all. We'll talk about the blessings he experienced, the promises God keeps, the way that tests of our character can actually refine our faith. We'll talk about patience. We'll talk about loss. Absolutely talk about redemption. So come join us for the six-week series over on the How to Study the Bible podcast. Can't wait to dive in with you.